All right, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Like Kyle said, my name is Mike Clunky, or it's Mr. Mike to Emma and Esther Stack. Uh, I think the only two people that call me Mr. Mike. Um, Pastor Mike, I think I, I get that from some, some individuals as well. Um, I grew up in Buffalo, and so the Bills are playing tomorrow. That's, the, that's my team, and I doubt there's only one other person who cares about the Bills. Maybe two other people, maybe two other people. Uh, but the Bears are playing tonight at three, right? So we got some time together. We don't have to rush out of here, right? Right? Yeah, all right, so let's go. Uh, hey, before we go any further, let's just come before God in a word of prayer. And I just want to read this. I read this uh, this morning. I have to put my eyes on here. Um, before, with the little team that was getting together, uh, planning for this time and just making sure we have all of our ducks in a row. But this is, I just want to start with, in Psalm 20 here. I'm just going to read two verses. Would you just, just listen to these and just allow them to be, um, just kind of wash over you. And then, then we'll pray. David says, may he, God, give you what your heart desires. And I just want to pause and just say that there's a couple ways to view that. One way is that I have desires. God, give them to me. <laughs> Fulfill my desires. There's another way to view that. God gives you desires. I believe this is what David is saying. May God, may he give you the desires of your heart and fulfill your whole purpose. Let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. And so let's pray. Lord, would you come and would you fulfill our requests? Lord, would you be the God on high that, that gives us new desires, desires that we didn't even know were there, new desires in the coming year to know you, to figure out what our life is about, to come underneath your sovereign, loving hand? Would you give us the desire to be so close to you that there is an immovable, um, just, just you are the immovable rock in our life that, that in you and in your sovereignty, whatever happens out there, will never move me from being close to you. Lord, would that be true of my friends here? Lord, we just, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the sunshine. Lord, we thank you for football. We thank you for fellowship and friends, for the beauty that you created us to enjoy. But we thank you most of all for Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. I love, I just want to let you know, I love what I do. Like, I, I love what I do. I love that uh, there's like 40 of you are in my house uh, every week at Corner. I just, I love that. I really enjoyed hanging out with some of you that went to the Labor Day camp out. I think we had a, a lot of fun. I brought the salt and pepper. Like, that was my job for the food. Um, and also, there were about 10 of us that went to the batting cage, like, just a couple, like, last week. And um, I, not the batting cage, the golf range, right? It wasn't wrong. We were, we were swinging something, and it was for golf balls, right? So that's what we did. Um, so we went, Sarah was there. 
Um, you, you were there. Uh, I don't see, I don't see, uh, heart. who else was there? Who else is there? Connor, you were there. Yeah, yeah, you were swinging some, you were swinging. So we were there, and, but I had an MRI on my shoulder, so I was not swinging the club, but I was, ooh, I just heard a crack. So it's kind of crunchy right now, so it's all right. But I wasn't hitting any balls, but my new friend Addie, and Addie, it doesn't look like Addie's here this morning, but my new friend Addie was there, and so I was giving her a couple of pointers, right? And so, and I was watching her swing, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take a slow motion video of her so that she can see what's happening, because she was, she was missing the ball every time, and it was because she was dipping her shoulders like this and then going for it. But you really kind of get that picture when you kind of take it in slow motion. I showed her, I showed her that, and then this last week, I said, hey, hey, did how did you do? How did you do? I was like, showed it to her. I was like, I got to go. And then so I left. How'd you do? And this is my favorite quote from this week. I think this is word for word. She said, I did a lot better after you left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I knew what she meant. I knew what she meant, but it was perfect timing. I like, this is great. This is perfect. But we all have something we're really good at, right? There's something that you are probably really good at. And there are things that we are passionate about. Right? There's just a passion. Maybe teaching golf probably is not, it's not for me. It's probably not my, not my passion. But seeing young people stand in the grace of God through Jesus and begin to love him wholeheartedly to the point where they begin to just to pour out their life just to him, that is one of my passions. And as a church, uh, we are passionate about you all experiencing the love of Jesus in a deep rich way that changes everything, everything. So, so radical is the hope of Jesus in your life that it will change things. It has to. It, it changes the way I love. It changes the way I think. It changes the way I parent, the way I relate to my employer, the way I pay taxes, the way I spend my money, the way I cook dinner, the way I use my things, the way I shop for a house or look for a place to live, where my community is going to be, the way I dated. It changed the way I married. If we have Jesus, everything changes. When you stand in awe and you experience the call of God inviting you to follow him, that is a path of absolute transformation. And I'm so thankful for my friend John. In high school, he began inviting me to church. He invited me to read the scriptures with him. We worked together at Subway. I, I worked. He was there at Subway. That was part of our working relationship. And we would talk, and we would talk about the scriptures. We would talk about what we heard on Sunday and what we heard on Wednesday. I didn't even know who God was, and I went to church twice a week. Um, he took a risk to love me that well. And my life radically changed when I was 19. At 19, my journey in, in the scriptures, and I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis here. If you guys know who C.S. Lewis is, the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm going to quote him here because it sums up my journey so beautifully. At 19, I thought I was coming to a place. I found out I was coming to a person. And at 19, I turned to face Jesus, and for the first time, I believed that he would actually receive me. And someday in July of 1993, I know most of you weren't born, I marked that as a day of going from death to life, from darkness to light, from insignificance to unbelievably valued, from despair to hope. 
And in my journey, I met Michelle, my wife, at a small group at U of I. Guess who's with me? My friend John. And we walked in not sure of, you know, if we would keep coming. But he took me there. And uh, the small group wrapped up, and uh, this young woman, Michelle, blocked the door. Like, we just, it was done, we were heading out, and she blocked the door, so she had really good training. And she struck up a conversation with us. And it wasn't awkward or weird. We exchanged a couple pleasantries. She asked if we were going to be back. We said we thought we would be. And my first impression of her was she can talk really, really fast. A lot of questions, this one, but super personable. You'll have to ask her about her first impression of me, but I have the mic. And so I'm sure she would go on and on about my passion for fashion, my unique and attractive matching abilities, my stunningly, you know, handsome good looks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you'll talk to her. But when that first night ended and we left, I kid you not, my friend John turns to me. We're not 15 feet from the door. And uh, he says, you're going to marry that girl. This is true. But he... I should also tell you, he said that for about a year and a half for every girl that I met. So, <laughs> so he's bound to get one of them these days. But John was passionate about connecting me to Christ and community. That was his passion. And my life has forever changed and been marked because of this. And we are passionate about helping you connect with Christ. And we believe that God graciously uses us, us, like, like you, like me, who sometimes feel like I have nothing to offer. I don't have anything to give. I'm not special enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not enough. But God invites you to be like John was to me. And when I was 19, God invited me personally to step into the story of restoration through faith in Jesus believing that he was the one who created me for his glory. And I believed that he knew, God knew, I had no idea what my life was supposed to be about, but I believed wholeheartedly that God knew what he made me for. And we're talking about this over the next couple of weeks still. We're looking at the big picture, the story of Christianity, the big theme that weaves its way through the pages and pages of Scripture, through people groups and through very particular individuals. And the two points that I made two weeks ago were this. That one, that God does everything, absolutely everything, to display the goodness of His glory. God is everything to display the goodness of his glory. His motivation is to make known to all creation, all of you, how wonderfully, truly good he is. And the second one is that when you come to him, you must position yourself, you must orient yourself to God and understand that God is the giver and you are the, only the receiver all the time. You have to learn how to orient your life so that whatever you do, you are the one who's receiving. I need to speak up here as if I'm the one who's receiving. You, we set all these instruments up and all that as if we are the ones who are receiving, not doing. And the essence of us, of us positioning ourselves, coming to God with the right posture is one of worship. Because why? We were made for beauty and delight we were made to enjoy what is most beautiful in our lives. And God shines his light and reveals his presence of who he is in Jesus. 
And we were made to be awestruck in wonder, like those of us who have kind of come to, like, perhaps, I don't know, the, probably one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, like, in the physical world is, like, the Grand Canyon. And you can't really imagine how uh, just how much a hole in the ground will just awe you at 5 p.m. when the sun is setting. We are made to live in that trust relationship, in a dependent relationship on God, in such a way that we become more and more conformed to his goodness, that the goodness that, that he does, we do. The love that he shows, we, we show. The, the wisdom that he displays, we display. That in everything that we do, it's to be done to, as a reflection to our creator that, that he's the one who, who made me to shine like stars in the universe. And this is what it was like, this unbroken, unhindered, beautiful reflection is exactly what it was like in the very beginning. This is what we read in the book of Genesis. You see, in the book of Genesis, we had an unstained, unbroken, unmatched, perfect relationship, not only with God, but we were in perfect relationship with one another. I had a perfect relationship with myself. How many times do you do something and you're like, why did I do that? Right? Like, what's my motivation? Our heart is like upside down, like an iceberg. We had a perfect relationship with nature. Everything worked the way it was supposed to work. It was perfect. the way it was always supposed to be. You see, worship is part of our design. Living in a right relationship with God and self and nature, this is what we were meant to experience. But this is not our current world. Perfection is not our reality. Far from it. Far from it. This is a picture of my friend Trey. I'm going to introduce Trey to you. Uh, in 2018, I had the privilege of baptizing Trey baptizing him as a brother in the Lord. And we met Trey's freshman year after uh, he spent um, his time in the Air Force. And Trey was really quiet at first, but he, he was also an excellent drummer. Like, the, the, the guy can drum. And Trey spent time in my house. We spent hours and hours just talking about life. We spent three spring breaks driving down to Memphis to work with SOS. Some of you have been there to serve families who are in need of home repair. He rode shotgun in my car several of those times. And uh, we would just talk about his life. We would talk about love. We would talk about his family. We would just play. We would listen to like hours of jazz while students were just sleeping in the back of my car. And on the first night, um, on, the, on our first spring break together, um, we all went, uh, took a break from doing home repair, and we spent the, uh, a half a day in the Civil Rights Museum. It was our first time there. I'd never been there. Trey had never been there. And like stepping into this building, I knew immediately that this is a space of heartache. This is, this is a space of pain, of struggle, but also deep hope. So I just asked Trey, I said, can I walk with you through this at your pace? And he said, yeah, that'd be okay. It was a heavy, heavy time. It was and is a tale of two stories. It's a tale of the horrific evil of mankind and an incredible struggle to claim and live out our intrinsic value, our infinite worth. Afterwards, we went back to SOS and we just, we sat in these, on this, these bunk beds that I want to say they're, they're comfortable, but they're not. 
and we talked for hours. On your chair is a piece of paper with two questions on it. I want to give you a minute to think about this. This is what we're going to be engaging with for the rest of our time. I want you to look at those two questions and just, I'm, again, I'm, and if you don't have an answer, that's okay. If you need a pen, there maybe one is provided for you. If you don't have a pen, there's maybe one on a chair around you. But I want you to write the, your answer to those two questions before we, we move forward. And, I was, and I'm going to give you a, um, act, this is an activity, not an assignment. I was, it was made clear to me that I should not call this an assignment. And I'm not going to give you an assignment, but we're going to have an activity to do that I want to give to you even when we're done. But take, just take a minute here and think through that. Not the answer you think that I want to hear, <laughs> but the answer that is truly in your heart. you're thinking and writing I'm going to let you know I spent some time on Friday asking your peers this question out on the quad I'm going to share with you one student's response shortly you know the thing is, is that when you poll the average person and you ask what do you think is wrong with the world what do you think that it unmade us we're made for God's glory but we are unmade when you pull the average person, you ask them, what do you think is wrong with the world and how can what is wrong be made right? The answer you'll get is generally along these lines. What is wrong with the world is that people are undereducated and insufficiently governed. How can what is wrong be made right? Better education, more just government. You know, when I get this, when I hear this, I always just ask, it just begs the question, what kind of education? Which government will make me better? Which one makes us better as humans? It, it's, it's just a simple survey of history that you'll realize that high, the most highly educated people in the world made the 20th century the most bloodiest <laughs> ever. We just create new ways to kill one another. The world generally looks to systems and things that we do to change what we do. Does that make sense? The, the issue is we need to change the system and that will change what we do. But the scriptures give a very different narrative. So I'm inviting you into this Christian worldview, this framework that each one of us has. Paul describes this narrative in Romans 7. So this is, guys, this is like 2,000 years ago, right? This is Paul writing. He says this so he's in Romans 7. He says, for I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. So now... I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire I want to do, the desire that I, <laughs> for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. 
For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law at work in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me, listen, prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. I could not imagine going through this manuscript and having to write this out and get it right, you know, every time, right? But here's what he's saying. This is the biblical storyline. The problem is not out there, but in here. The issue is way deeper than we could have ever put our finger on or imagined. He says when he operates in this way, when we operate in this way, it's because of the posture on the inside is that we don't need God. It's a self-determined posture that God describes as sin. And here we need to have the right definition of sin as is really described in Scripture because sin is not the infringement of, on personal rights and privileges, like she caused me harm or he caused me harm. Sin in Scripture is defined by the standard of a holy God. Sin is an infinite offense. And so we would say that sin with a, with a how do I write it backwards? Sin with a capital S. Is this, does this look like an S to you? Awesome. I didn't practice this. Sin with a capital S, big capital S, is failure to love, honor, serve God above all things. With a capital S, it's our failure to love, serve, and honor God above all things. Sin with a lowercase s is all the things that we do to show that we do not love, honor, serve God above all things. Does that make sense? The scriptures answer the question, what is wrong with the world this way? People are separated from God by sin. They don't want him. They are selfish and self-determined. It is our rebellion against God, his rule and his reign, which has unmade us, which has undone us. We were made for God's glory, but we live for our own. We have the great capacity to love, but alongside that, we live for ourselves. So it is when Jesus addresses moral reform in the Gospels, Right? When you read the Gospels, you see him talking about this moral reform. He always speaks of the deep heart, that the heart needs to be changed. The transformation in our lives begins in the heart. He doesn't, he doesn't go, I need to point you to more laws to govern you better. you got the best laws in the world. So what he points to change is not the law, but he says it happens deeper than that in the heart. Matthew 23 says this blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside would be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Guys, remember, we think of the Pharisees as these bad guys. These were the good guys from an earthly perspective. They're the guys who were doing it all right. They're the guys who are like religious and trying to love people. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead of every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What's wrong with the world and our freedom We've rebelled against God in his rightful rule. And unless God does a work of transforming work in your heart, unless he does that, you will continually look for something external 
to change you, but nothing, nothing will work. Sin is at the root of the problem. It's not wanting God to be Lord. It's believing that we are autonomous creatures and we answer only to ourselves. And, and this is very, it's this very posture towards God. Listen, listen, that tells you and I, this is really important. It tells you and I that we are free to step over the line, that we're free to just do whatever we want to do. And there's something insidious about that, something very devious about sin. And here it is. It works so, it works evil against you. And you might say, how? Because it deceives you. It is sin that lies to you and tells you you are free. You are autonomous and free. This is the very heart of the deception of sin. Sin offers you a freedom that isn't actual. Do you understand that? It deceives you into you thinking that you are really free. You can do whatever you want. And when you take the bait, guess what? You're a slave. You're not free. Our world says, throw off all your inhibitions, right? Throw off moral constraint. If when you do that, you're going to find what? Personal freedom. Well, it's a lie. To live this way is to be deceived into thinking that you're free when the reality is you are just a slave. The truth is, is that the lack of limits, they actually destroy our freedom. How? Because if we let our passions run free, those passions enslave you. In here, sin in here, it signifies one thing, that there is a break in relationship with God. And unless that break is mended, you're a slave to your passions all the while you believe that you are really free. Again, Scripture's answer to what is wrong in the world is this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Our self-love and self-loathing, the attitudes in our heart that won't accept God's rule, and the attitudes that can't accept God's love, all of these are symptoms of the issue that is deep inside of us. It is not external to us, it is in us. And we are the ones who determine what is right and wrong, acceptable and punishable. We determine our worth and value. And, and we know we do because we're searching for our value all the time. We're looking for it. But this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Right? Just, think, just think about this. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Sin is something that's alien to creation. How many times have you know, made a mistake or done something? You say, well, I'm only human, right? Sin is alien to creation. The way that we were created is alien. It's something that comes in afterwards. It's not the original to the design. We aren't who we were intended to be or could be. And it doesn't take many years on this planet to experience the effects of sin and evil, unfortunately. We get this. I mean, you guys know this. Like, you, you know this. It is our lived experience. We know something is wrong, but we have trouble identifying what the issue is. We felt this, man. We've experienced this. Maybe when a, when a parent omits love and affection or a parent who abandons a relationship or a friend who deceives you and turns on you or doesn't come through for you. Maybe there's a belief that you have about your value and your worth that you just wake up with every single day and you cannot shake it. Maybe there's a tragedy that has happened that maybe shouldn't have happened. 
My, my dad is in his 80s, and he got scammed to give his credit card information to somebody who's representing his internet provider. And my dad lives in North Carolina. They said, uh, we're gonna, you're, you're 65 and older. And my dad's like, well, he told me so many things about myself. I said, I know, Dad, just don't give him your credit card information or your social security or any numbers. Just don't say any, I'm like, Dad, just don't say any numbers over the phone. Um, but hey, we have a 65 year and over plan. And so we need to, uh, we just need your credit card and we'll do that. And I was like, Dad, they already have your credit card. They, you do auto billing. They racked up uh, $1,000 of purchases and I spent several hours on the, the provider, talking to the provider. I got myself, my dad keeps, this is a good thing. Good thing, guys. This is going to be, you know, your future. Get added to your parents. So this is a life lesson. Get added to your parents' accounts as they get older so you can be a part of this. But I, I asked my dad, I said, can you give me the, do you have the number? He's saved. He's got a phone that plugs into a wall. You guys know what those are? And so he, on the phone, he was able to retell me what the number is of the people who scammed them. And, uh, and uh, I don't recommend this, but I, I, ca I called that number. I called that number and uh, they literally jumped right into scamming me. Like literally, that was the first thing. Uh, what, uh, what purchase are you calling about? Um, I'm sorry, we need to get your information in order. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I called you. Like, do you just, is there just like 70 of you and just get rerouting calls? I think that's what was happening. And I just played along for a second. I was like, yeah, it's a big purchase. I'll get you those numbers. And, and why do you scam old people? That's what I said. Why do you scam old people? I don't know what you're talking about. We don't scam old people. Yes, you do. You scam old people. And in the background, I heard a whole bunch of people talking. They hung up on me. Um, and I'm like, don't hang up on me. So I called back. I called back and someone different answered this time. Same lines. It's the same thing. I did this six different times, six different people. And listen, they were all the same ethnicity. You know what my heart did in that moment? It went to some dark places about those people. <laughs> Until I could bring it under the Lord and I had zero compassion for them because what they did was evil. And I don't think more education will help them. I don't think a more sufficient government can cure a devious heart and plans that are devious, somebody who plans devious deeds. I don't think a living wage will change the heart. The story and most of society changes us. It is a story of class struggle where the oppressed eventually at some point become the oppressors, that is what we do. That's what we do. And all I wanted in that moment was justice. I want justice. I want them to get caught. I want them to cease and desist. You see, although we were created to live in awe of the goodness and the glory of God and find our soul's delight and live in joyful obedience, we don't live that way. And so the Christian story and the Christian worldview and the answer to the question is what is wrong with the world is, is this. The heart of every one of us is darkened and separated from God. Jesus said it this way and it leads us to his answer to what, can, what is wrong can be made right. He said this, from, for from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, ev evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You see, all that happens in the world 
all that happens on the outside is only a representation of what is going on in the inside. Nothing in our lives, no education or government can change the heart of a person. So how can what is wrong be made right? The answer needs to come from outside of ourselves. John Piper said it this way. He said, and this is, I think this is profound, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. The incarnation, the Son of God taking on flesh, God, because of his great love to redeem us for his glory and for our joy, put forward Jesus as a willing sacrifice to cover over the debt, listen, that I owe, that we owe, to deliver us from a kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light, to give us a new heart and new motives. You see, the cross is God's solution to my evil. Who will pay for the evil I commit? Jesus says, I will pay it fully. In order to free the guilty, Jesus was condemned. Jesus came to overthrow and overcome the powers of the evil that enslaves us in order to free us. This is part of his mission statement. And he says, so if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. Well, how does this truly happen? How do I get there? How can Jesus' life of obedience become my obedience? How can his righteousness become my righteousness? How can his resurrection, showing that he defeated the powers that stand against us and in us, how do I get included in that victory? How does, it, how does that happen for me? And it happens this way. Life on the inside needs to be harnessed first. The harnessing of our life is the surrender of everything that we are to God, everything that we are to him. And in one word, the word is worship. It's what we were created to do. It is what we do naturally when we enjoy the beauty of a sunset or the joy of a new kitten or the intimate love of a spouse or an excellent film. We go and we enjoy those things and we just tell people naturally about them. Did you read that book, see that movie, see that play, hear that song? Why? Because it isn't until you do that that your joy is complete. Nobody sees something amazing, you just keep it to yourself. We don't do that. We are just instinctively triggered to just share that. And that's what we do when we see God is we instinctively, C.S. Lewis says, run up the sunbeam to the sun and the one who casts his beauty in us. We go, look at all this beautiful, look at everything that's beautiful. Who made it? God did, and I rejoice in him, and I worship him. And in my own life, when the injustices of the world, and I experienced it, and it welled up inside me, when the pain of rejection and just my self-loathing were too much to bear, I came to a place when I was 19 where I just couldn't contain it, and it burst out of me. And following it, it led me down a trail on a dark Friday afternoon to a place where Jesus was being nailed to a Roman cross. And in him, I saw that whatever pain and evil that I had experienced, it was nothing, nothing compared to his pain and suffering. During my darkest moment, his was darker. Listen, God is not so aloof that he does not understand evil. He understands it better than you and I could ever hope into. And what he offers each one of us is an opportunity to respond to the storyline. See, Jesus came to give us a new heart, a new life, a fountain of life poured into us because we've turned to him, the Lord of lords. And so how can what is wrong be made right? 
Jesus came to restore the break in relationship that is caused by our rebellion, that all who come willingly would experience real, actual freedom from sin's slavery. I want to close today with a, a conversation I had with, uh, on the quad with this gentleman named Gavin. And so Gavin gave me permission uh, to record him. And I asked Gavin these two questions. So what is wrong with the world and how can what is wrong be made right? I originally thought that I would talk to like dozens of people and have conversations, but only two people were desiring to give me their thoughts on the subject. But the fruit of those two conversations, well, went way beyond what I really set out to do. And so I wanna play Gavin's response and I wanna share with you how we ended things. So what, in your opinion, what is wrong with the world? I think that the people and the attitude um, is wrong in this world. I feel like there's so much negativity um, and violence in this world now, like too much to, not, not as much overpower the good in this world, but it just feels like there's too much of it to go around. And it's scary, it's scary, because you should be able to walk outside and feel safe and happy and you should be able to do what you want to do, but I don't know. Nowadays it feels like everybody gets told what to do. Everyone gets commanded on what to do and they have to live a certain way, a certain life, lifestyle or a certain path. And I feel like people should choose their own path, do what they want to do and do what they love. Because I feel like that's what's most important in life. So how can what is wrong be made right? Uh, it could be made right in several ways. Um, I know I found my way in trying to figure out my trying to figure out my life um, in faith um, in the church. Um, I also found it in going to other people too, um, asking for help, um, meeting new people, making new connections. Because once you get yourself out there in the world and you start meeting new people, experiencing new things. Um, it makes it easier and it makes it, I feel like it makes it more comfortable, you know? Hmm? Great. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Of course. Sorry, Riley, I didn't get your permission to record you. <clears throat> um, I heard Riley like, you want hot chocolate? And listen, after he gave me his answer, uh, I, just, I just stood there with him. He was visiting his girlfriend and he's like, I got nowhere to be. She's in class. And, and so I just asked him more about his life. And he said he wants to get he wants to get back into going to church, and uh, he's been wasting his time. He he wants a life that that's going to count for something. We talked about uh, his relationship with his girlfriend and how it, it was going, and he opened up, surprisingly open about just his struggles at home. You know, as he was talking, God brought a verse immediately to my to my mind when he was sharing his answers, and. Um, and I didn't know if I wanted to share it with him until he began opening up more. And, um, and I just said, I, I asked him if, if he would allow me to share a piece of scripture with him. And he says, oh yeah, sure, man, I'd love to hear it. I said, then, then can I pray for you? And so, and, and he was so thankful. He, most people were suspicious of my questions. He was really thankful. And he said, yeah. I told him that the scripture that came to mind I said, it might, it might feel hard. It, it might not 
on the surface, it might not be very encouraging to you. But I told him I'm sharing this with him because I believe that God wanted to use this time to speak to him. And so I opened up my phone and, and I found Proverbs 14, 12. Gavin, I, I said, and, and then I read, I said, there is a, this is what it says. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it is the way of death. I said, there seems to be a way that seems right that you, you think you need to fix the problems that you see around you. Like there, there seems like there's a way that you're living. You, people need to find their own joy. They need to find what makes them happy. That path that you think leads to life, what if it actually leads to death? So Jesus came to give you life and give you it, it in all of its abundance for those who would abandon the way that seems right to them. So Gavin, I want you to choose the path of life. And I prayed for him. <laughs> I prayed that, that he would not find rest in his heart until it truly rests in Jesus that he would find himself and find life in the story of God who truly loves him. You know what? After I prayed that prayer, he said, thank you. I share this with you guys because you can have conversations like this with people and your peers. You, you can have this kind of conversation with anybody. I share this with you because I desperately want you to find the path that leads to life abundant life, life eternal. That's what I desire. Would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that although we cannot know you exhaustively, exhaustively, we cannot know everything about you, we can know you sufficiently, sufficient is your grace today for me to stand in it. Lord Jesus, my unending prayer is that all who are standing here would be present when you come again, you are promised to come again, when you come again, the fullness of who you are to judge the living and the dead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And as we're gonna go into a time of musical worship and communion here and communion is just a it is a time for you and me to um, tangibly experience and remember that on the night that he was betrayed Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to his friends and said take this eat this this is my body which is broken for you you see in God's law the punishment of sin is death. And Jesus said, I'm willingly, my body's willingly broken for you. And the same way he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant. Take and drink this. Jesus desires to bring you into a new covenant, a covenant by faith. In the book of Hebrews, it says that without the shed, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so, his body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for you. This is a time for you, if you really do believe this, to join in communion during this next worship set that we're doing. Anytime you're ready, you can go back there.
It's a time for you to physically remember and taste and see and remember tangibly that, Lord, your body was broken for me and I am believe you and once again Lord I just come and I confess that I am the one who receives grace from you and so whenever you are ready during these next couple of uh, minutes here feel free to take communion and there will be people on the side if you if any if you're carrying anything and you want us to pray for you we would love to pray with you